The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Meditation doesn't have to be a solo practice. Meditation is more fun with friends. Looking for a way to drop in and hang out at the same time? Join us online at Omega Institute for a meditation party with self-proclaimed meditation nerds Dan Harris, host of the 10% Happier podcast, Sabene Selassie and Jeff Warren. This three-day retreat will stream live from Omega's Hudson Valley Campus, May 17th to 19th. Don't miss the party. Reserve your spot at eomega.org slash party today. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Welcome to Spirit of Recovery, where spirituality and recovery meet with Reverend Anna Schaus, Ph.D. Now, here's your host, Reverend Anna Schaus. Welcome to the Spirit of Recovery, the place where spirituality and recovery meet, where we support your spiritual growth in recovery. My name is Anna Schaus, and I'm your host, and thank you so much for being with us today. We've got another great program for you that I know is going to really touch your heart and open your mind and your life up to some wonderful, wonderful growth. So thanks for listening, and thank you also for liking the Spirit of Recovery page on Facebook, and thank you for letting me know what's happening for you and your recovery life and your spirituality walk, and for uh, letting me know how what we're doing here on Spirit of Recovery is making a wonderful difference for you and thank you also for letting your friends and the people in your recovery community and your unity community your other communities your family your friends know about the spirit of recovery thank you for opening up that possibility for people to listen to these programs and to get lots of great information we um always have guests that are touching your heart touching your mind opening up your life Every week we talk about topics that are important to the recovery community with guests who are down to earth, knowledgeable, and innovative. My guests are always people who are either in recovery themselves or who work with or write for recovering people, teach recovering people, share the good news that life is good and and recovery is possible on all levels, or sometimes people that are involved in all the above are my guests. And we're always bringing you practical information that you can use and lively discussions that get you thinking. You can listen to Spirit of Recovery in a variety of ways. You can listen via your computer. You can listen via your smartphone. You can go to Stitcher.com and download their app and search for Spirit of Recovery. And you also can listen on demand. We've got lots of years' worth of great programs um, on podcasts. Just go to unityonlineradio.org slash program slash Spirit of Recovery, and you'll find lots of great programs there uh, for your choosing. 
I want you to know that the spirit of recovery is a welcoming place so that if you're a person that's in recovery from any kind of an addiction, if you're somebody that's a family member or friend of somebody that has the disease of addiction, um, whether you or they are in recovery or not, you're welcome. And just know that family members and friends also have a recovery community and a recovery process so that um, we can also be in recovery. If you're just somebody that's curious, looking for information about recovery and spirituality, you're welcome. We're glad you're here. You can uh, email in a comment or call in a question if you'd like to for my guest on the topic of the day. We'd welcome your participation. I want you to know also that if you are moved by the programs on Spirit of Recovery or any of the other great programs on Unity Online Radio, you can financially support this nonprofit network. You can use your smartphone. Just go to uh, text Unity Radio to 72727 from your smartphone, and you can make a one-time financial gift or a recurring financial gift. And that helps this nonprofit radio station to keep bringing you the great programming that you love. Again, my name is Anna Schaus. I'm your Spirit of Recovery host. I'm a unity minister and an addictions counselor. I'm also a person who has in my own circle of love and friendship many people with the disease of addiction. And about 34 years ago, those relationships got me started on an active path of personal growth and spiritual development. And my my walk continues to be an integration of unity principles, recovery principles, and it just keeps transforming my life and uh, keeps me growing in deeper and richer ways, and I am just uh, very grateful for that door being opened to me. It's changed my life. So I'm grateful and delighted to have the opportunity to share these ideas with you, to bring you wonderful guests, and to hear what you're experiencing in your spirituality and recovery walk. So, today's program... Today we have a very special guest, and my guest today is Marilyn Vandeber. We're going to be talking about From Surviving to Thriving, Releasing Shame, and Healing Trauma. Research indicates that people that have the disease of addiction have experienced higher rates of childhood or adolescent trauma than the general population, and sometimes have experienced greater rates of trauma in their adult lives uh, in addition or or either or. Uh, there's a lot of different ideas about why this might be, but one of the ideas is that uh, possibly one of the contributing factors to a br- person's brain getting addicted, to a person uh, succumbing to the disease of addiction, is one possibility is that the stress of trauma uh, opens up the the brain opens up the life to uh, a greater tendency to get um, that disease of addiction. So researchers don't know, but it is, is a fact that the rates are higher uh, in people that have the disease of addiction. And so what we know is that the ability to live with joy and fulfillment and to maintain a long-term recovery grows when old traumas are faced and healed. And we know there's a lot of work that's uh, been done over the last uh, several years about uh, really doing the deep work uh, in childhood as necessary uh, whenever that surfaces to that helps support long-term recovery. So, again, my guest is Marilyn Vandeber. Marilyn is the author of the best-selling book, Miss America by Day, and her book was the first-place winner of the prestigious Writer's Digest Award as the most inspirational book, and it was selected out of 1,900 books uh, for that. 
It's a wonderful book. It's very inspiring. Marilyn in there shares her story and shares about her recovery and also shares about her advocacy for people that have been traumatized in their childhood. Marilyn is a very passionately effective advocate for the prevention and recovery from childhood sexual abuse. Uh, she had an exceptional career and still has one, has all her life. She it started out when she was crowned as Miss America in 1958, and from that, uh, her career blossomed into one as a motivational speaker. She was highly sought after and selected as the outstanding woman speaker in America, and she was uh, speaking, a, motiv- a mo- motivational speaker for a lot of um, top corporations, and um, one thing you'll find if you go to her website is she says that she was one of the only women speakers in that era, and she certainly opened up the way for many women. Marilyn's life took a radical turn when, in 1991, she came forward publicly as an incest survivor. And this was a courageous action, and it opened the door for tens of thousands of sexual abuse survivors to begin their healing. Marilyn is an incredibly uh, passionate advocate for people that are healing from childhood sexual abuse, from incest, from trauma. Um, This is not an easy topic to talk about. It's not an easy topic to hear about, um, and it's an essential topic and an important topic to talk about. Um, I had the privilege of many years ago um, hearing Marilyn speak and was just moved by her story, moved by her recovery, and really moved by her generosity. I want you to know a couple things about her, that you can go to her website, which is MissAmericaByDay.com. And if you go to MissAmericaByDay.com, which is also the title of her book, you'll find on there the contact page. And you can email her from that contact page on her website, and she responds to that personally. Marilyn responds to, uh, she said, between 50 and 100 emails a day, often from people who are sexual abuse or incest survivors and or who may have other traumas, and she responds to these personally. It's confidential. So today, if you have some questions or if you find yourself having some feelings getting stirred up and you'd like to communicate with her, do that. Go to MissAmericaByDay.com and send her an email, and it is confidential. Marilyn also says that she has had personal interaction contact um, and with more people in the United States who are sexual abuse survivors than anybody else in the U.S. So, Marilyn, thank you for who you are and thank you for the work that you do. Welcome. Thank you, Emma. Thank you. Glad you're here. So, would you tell us a little bit about your story, about how you um, came to be doing this work that you're doing? Well, my father started coming into my room at night when I was five, and it didn't stop until I was 18. So if he came in my room one night a week for 13 years, that's over 600 times. I, I don't remember how often as a child. I know it was more often when I was a teenager. Um, the trauma was so severe for me that I dissociated. I split, that's the word I use. I split into what I call a day child and a night child. The night child took all of the humiliation and uh, all of those feelings, and the day child went out to become very successful, which I did. And I think a deal was struck. I don't remember this, but I think it's possible that I made a deal. If you, the night child, will we'll take this, I will go out and be successful, and then when I am, I'll come back for you. The problem is, is that when 
I did become successful, I wanted her to die. I wanted nothing to do with her. Um, I began, I was Miss America, I was on the ski team, I was Phi Beta Kappa, which are the highest honors you can get in college. I just was this enormous uh, success, and yet my youth minister began sensing something didn't make sense to him. It just, there were little things that I would do, and over a period of, I met him when I was 15. Um, I also met the man I've, I've been married to for 52 years when I was 15. Um, and my youth minister, his name was Didi, he began to see me doing things, just little things that just, just kind of didn't make sense to him. And this went on for a period of time. Again, I'm full steam ahead, being the best at what I do. And then I married someone other than the man that I've always been in love with. And um, front page story, always in in Colorado. Um, and then I married someone who was abusive and left within the year. Front page story, divorce. Um, Miss Americas don't get divorced. That was what, that, that, that was the key that Dee Dee said to himself, okay, I finally understand. It had been nine years. I finally understand. She is trying to destroy herself. I just need to figure out why. And he had moved from Denver and had a huge congregation in Los Angeles. And after my Miss America year, I was in Hollywood a number of times, um, and I would always call and say, hi, I don't have time to talk. I just want to say hi. And he said, I came to realize that these were calls of help. I do want to see you. I don't want to see you. And he said to himself, the next time she calls will be different. And when I was 24, I flew to L.A., and I called him, and I said, hi, I'm in town. I can't see you. I just want to say hello. And he said, where are you? I said, I'm at the Beverly Hills Hotel. He said, stay there. He drove over. We went into the dining room. It was lunch. It was about 11.15. There was no one there. And he said there was nothing left to ask. He, he said, I'd, I'd been down every road with you. There was nothing else I could ask. But you have to know that my father was a wealthy, um, very socially responsible philanthropist. Um, he was so important that his obituary was on the front page of our paper, which is unusual for a businessman. Mm -hmm. um, there are four of us daughters, all two years apart. We were the picture-perfect family. It was the first time, when I was crowned Miss America, it was the first time they'd ever brought a family up on stage because the head of the pageant wanted everyone to see this all-American family. So for Dee Dee to have even thought, just thought, that incest could have been a problem it was just so outside the box. But he asked me the question. I don't, I don't remember how he phrased it, but my memories had all been repressed. And as soon as he asked me whatever he did, did your father come into your room at night, whatever the question was, I just started deep, deep sobbing. And I sobbed to exhaustion. And then I looked up and I said, don't tell anyone. His response to that was so amazing. If someone had said that to me, I would have said, of course I won't. Of course I won't. But when I said, don't tell anyone, 
he said, who don't you want me to tell? Hmm. And I answered with one word, Larry. Now, for nine years, I had been in love with Larry, but I kept breaking up with him. And then I married, Larry's going to ask me to marry him. I married somebody else. And then I divorced within a year and had no contact with Larry, loved him deeply. What I didn't understand was that the reason I married someone else is because subconsciously I didn't feel worthy of him. I didn't feel worthy of his love. And so I needed to marry into an abusive relationship. This is all subconscious because that's what I felt I was worthy of. And when I said, please don't tell anyone, and he said, who don't you want me to tell? And I said, Larry. He said, then Larry is the only one we have to tell. I don't know how he convinced me to go to the phone and call Larry. I, 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 I don't know how he convinced me to do that, but I did. I called him, and my call came out of the blue. And I said, um, I'm wondering if you could fly to California. And, and I, I have something I need to tell you. I was, I was crying. And he said, I have come for nine years. I'm not coming anymore. Mm. And I hung up the phone, and I, oh, I cried and cried. I, and they were cries of tears and tries of sad. I, I was happy because I wouldn't have to tell him because how can you tell someone that? How can you tell, how can you tell the boy that walked you to the door and kissed you goodnight with all the passion of, a, of young love, and I was a perfect teenager, and then have him know that the truth was, I walked through the door and down the hall to my father. How, how could he possibly ever want to look at me again if I told him that? Um, but he said, no, I'm not coming. So I hung up the phone and I was crying and Dee said, what's the number? And I said, no. And he said, what's the number? And he called Larry. <laughs> I still get emotional over this. And he said, if you have ever loved her, I ask you to come. And so he flew to California the next morning. I couldn't look at him. I had my head down. I was sobbing uncontrollably. And he walked into the office and Dee Dee said, uh, Marilyn, ha I, I just thought Dee Dee would tell him. It never occurred to me that he wouldn't. And Larry walked in, and he was a lawyer, and he brought out his yellow legal pad. He was really pretty angry. I mean, I had done this for nine years. He wanted me out of his life forever. It was overdone. Don't, I, I can't get involved with her again because she just keeps turning away from me. So he came in, a kind of an angry attorney with his yellow pad, and Dee Dee said, Marilyn has something to tell you. And I, I just sobbed, I can't. And Dee Dee said, we will wait until you can. And what I understood about that now is that I needed to speak the words. No one can tell our secrets. We have to, I have, I, I do, I answer 50 to 100 emails every day. And someone, I had an email yesterday and a woman said, I really need to tell this person that I think this has happened to. And I said, this is, this is not for you to tell. This is for the survivor to tell. And Dee Dee was so wise in having, I, I couldn't speak in sentences, I just spoke in words. And when Larry finally understood what was incomprehensible, he came over and he put me arm, his arms around me and he just, 
he held me for such a long time, and I was just sobbing. And he said, as if to himself, I understand everything now. Mm. Dee Dee said, I will marry you today. Mm. And I said, I really, I really have to get out of here. Um, but that was, that's what changed my life. And that was the day that I began to understand, it was over a period of time, that I began to understand how the repressed memories were driving my life. I'll give you an example. Okay. I fell in love with Larry when I was 15. I was a sophomore. He was a senior. We were deeply in love. And then he went away to college. So my, soft, my junior and senior years, he was away at school. We wrote every single day, every single day. We talked about the summer. And when he came home for this, our first summer together, which we had talked about, lived for, he came to the door and I said, I'm leaving. I'm, 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 I'm going to Europe for the summer. And he said, why are you going? I didn't know why. My memories are still repressed. The next summer he comes home. And I said, I'm leaving. I'm going to summer school at the University of Wisconsin. The next summer, <laughs> I'm going to the University of Colorado for summer school. I didn't know why I kept going, but it was so I wouldn't have to stay home anymore. It was so I wouldn't have to be there with my father. But I didn't know that, nor did he know that. And what I learned was that our secrets drive our lives mm-hmm. until we confront them straight on. And when we, when we con- confront them straight on, which those words are very easy to say and so horrifically, traumatically painful to do, that's when we begin to change our lives. I would like to tell you that I did come forward with this. I did not. I believed if people knew my life would be over. I had been named the Outstanding Woman Speaker in America. I, I believed if people knew, I would never be asked to speak again. People would turn away from me. It was a Denver Post newspaper reporter that learned I was an incest survivor. And the next morning I woke up, and it was on the front page of the paper. Right. And that was much later, right? That was because... I was 53. I was 53. <laughs> right. And yeah, it's a big, it's, this is an amazing story. Thank you. It's time for our break. We're going to take a break and then we're going to come back. And Marilyn, we're going to have our, our meditation when we come back. And then I'll continue my conversation with my guest, Marilyn Vandiver, about surviving to thriving, releasing the shame and healing trauma. As she's sharing with us her recovery, uh, from the, horrible experience of incest and talking about how that works and also how uh, that can be prevented. Marilyn, thank you for your generosity. Listeners, stay with us. We'll be right back on Spirit of Recovery. Wouldn't you like to share the programs that inspire you most with audiences around the world? That's easier than ever with mobile giving. Just text Unity Radio to 72727 and help us continue offering spiritual programs that change lives. Do you experience the peace and joy promised by A Course in Miracles? Or are you still struggling to truly live your beliefs from moment to moment? Let Rev. Jennifer Hadley help you focus on your intent to be the love. 
Be the peace through practical application by walking your talk. Experience the healing live every Tuesday at 10 a.m. Central on A Course in Miracles, Living the Love, Walking the Talk, only on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. The base of all life is the infinite wellspring of Source, and each of us has a unique way of expressing that Source as an individualized soul. Do you enjoy the company of inspiring people who are living on purpose? Do you want to live joyfully attuned to your own unique soul expression? Host Rev. Kristen Powell welcomes you to join the gathering of souls who live this way. You'll meet artists, naturalists, and other soulful expressions that will inspire you to call forth the most alive, passionate version of yourself. Get into the natural stream of your own soul by tuning into Soul Stream live every Wednesday at noon Central Time on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. for listening to Spirit of Recovery with Rev. Anna Schaus and her guest. If you have a question or comment or experience with today's topic that you'd like to share, call us now at 888-55-UNITY. That's 888-558-6489. Call now or email us at spiritofrecovery at unityonlineradio.org. Now, back to the program. Welcome back to Spirit of Recovery. And if you're just joining us, our topic today is From Surviving to Thriving, Releasing Shame and Healing Trauma. My name is Anna Schaus. I'm your host. And my special guest today is Marilyn Vandeber. Marilyn is the author of Miss America by Day. It was the first place winner of the prestigious Writer's Digest Award. It was selected out of 1,900 books as the most inspirational book. Marilyn is a passionately effective advocate for the prevention of and recovery from childhood sexual abuse. Marilyn herself is an incest survivor that became public knowledge in 1991. And um, ever since that time, she has definitely been making a wonderful connection and uh, with those who have endured sexual abuse as children and in any part of their life, and it's opened the door for tens of thousands of people who are sexual abuse survivors to begin their healing. Um, Mer- why we're having this on Spirit of Recovery is that research indicates that people with the disease of addiction have experienced higher rates of childhood or adolescent trauma than the general population and that deep healing of whatever it may be that we have experienced in our lives is a key to maintaining long-term recovery, whether we're a person that's got a substance uh, addiction disease or whether we're those in family or friends who um, have that enabling disease that we enable people that have um, the disease of addiction. So we're very glad uh, today to have Marilyn. You can go to her website, www.missamericabyday, spelled just the way it sounds, missamericabyday.com. You can see lots of great information on there. You can find out about her book, Miss America by Day. You can also email her there. There's a contact page. You can email her from that website, and it's confidential. So if you'd like to talk to Marilyn, if you're... uh, 
feeling that that would be helpful to you, you can do that. And she reads those personally. They are confidential. So before I get back to my conversation with Marilyn, I invite you to share with me a brief moment of meditation, the Serenity Minute. I invite you to share with me this constructive idea, and then we'll take just a moment in the quiet, centering ourselves in that loving power of our higher power. So I invite you to relax, to feel that peaceful presence from the crown of your head all throughout your body temple, and share with me this constructive idea. My higher power's healing power is fully available to me. I trust my higher power. My higher power's healing power is fully available to me. I trust my higher power. And now we take a moment in the quiet. Thank you, friends, for joining me in the Serenity Minute, and I trust and hope that this was an opportunity for you to open up for a moment and make that conscious contact with your higher power. And now I'm back to my conversation with my guest, Marilyn Vandiver, and um, talking with her about her recovery from incest, a really important topic, not an easy one to talk about, but an essential and an important one. So... Um, Marilyn, before the break, you were uh, talking about how you had, um, in the late 1950s, actually, uh, had your youth minister, Dee Dee, had really uh, asked you, what, what a great guy, he, uh, amazing person. He really amazing. noticed that something he was did. awry. Yeah, and you I had did. the courage. Yeah, you had incredible courage um, to to speak up and say, yeah, yeah, and to share that with Larry, who became your husband. So... Um, then life went on. So you were married to Larry and your career continued. And there was a span of many years, what, like 40 years in there or less, maybe, I don't know, but until 1991, what happened in 91? Well, let me, let me lead up to that a little bit. Sure. Um, I think there are many different kinds of addiction. Mm-hmm. And one of my addictions was being frenetically busy. Mm-hmm. I... I, I never, I was like the Energizer Bunny. Um, one day I spoke in three different cities. That was, sometimes I'd get five speeches a day. It was just, it was frenetic. It was unhealthy. <laughs> it was over the top. Um, but the reason I was frenetically busy is because it didn't allow for memories and feelings to come up. I just kept myself that busy. And when I was 39, I, my body went into physical paralysis and I was hospitalized for the better part of three months and the doctors could find no cause. I went to the Mayo Clinic. The doctors could find no cause. Back to the Denver Hospital, they released me. Um, what, what, and I, I went in and out of paralysis for, for 12 years from age 39 to age 51. No one could figure it out. But one day I had this just incredible insight and sometimes an insight is so powerful 
that you don't question it. You absolutely know it's the truth. And all of a sudden, one day, I had the insight that it was my daughter's age. When Jennifer was turning five, which the age I was when my father started coming into my room, when my daughter turned five, the paralysis began. And that was my way of keeping the, the feelings, <laughs> the pushing, not allowing all the feelings to come up. Mm-hmm. But I didn't, I didn't really become completely dysfunctional until she started to be a teenager. I was 45 at the time. And from 45 to 51, I was um, unable to dress myself most of the time. I spent six years in therapy working so hard to try to come through. I, if I, what I wanted was to find just one woman, just show me one woman who's come through the recovery process so I know it's possible. Or will I always be this way? Larry and I thought, maybe I'll just always be this way. Just uh, Freud call it, called it hysteria. That, that, that's, a, that's an accurate word. I was in hysteria. I wanted to find somebody that had made it, but I couldn't find anyone. One day Larry said, role model for yourself. And so I began to visualize myself. But let me tell you one experience. It was so powerful for me. Mm-hmm. I was allowed to attend a very private counseling um, session. No, they'd never had a guest before. It was in California. Um, I don't have time to give you the background, but there were 30 people seated in a circle. There were 10 men rapists who had uh, finished their time in prison and were now mandated to attend these sessions. There were 10 mothers of survivors, no relationship, and 10 survivors, no relationship. Mm. Well, we all know what a man rapist looks like. It's just that most don't look that way at all. And one man was short, lean, yet on wire rim glasses, and he said, I was in solitary confinement for years. And now I have a job at Kmart, and when I have a break, I have to find a small closet to stand in because that's the only place that feels normal to me. Hmm. When he said that, I had one of those powerful insights, and all of a sudden, I understood what had been driving my life for 45 years. I was terrified to play the piano at my ninth grade graduation terrified to be the graduation speaker in front of 3,000 people. I was terrified to be on the University of Colorado ski team, especially in the downhill, because I always skied faster than my skill. But most of all, I was terrified to speak in front of five people, much less 5,000 people, and yet I chose motivational speaking as my full-time career. Just as the man had chosen the closet to stand in, because that's what felt normal him, I had chosen terror because I had grown up in terror, and terror felt normal to me. Mm -hmm. Terror was like an addiction to me. I chose it. Once I understood that, I could change that cycle and stop what, what is, to me, it's it's a form of addiction because I can't. Choosing a negative way for my life. It wasn't drugs. It wasn't alcohol. But it was terror. Right. And only when I understood it could I begin to change that. That's right. And you're right on, you know, Marilyn, absolutely, about all you're saying about that. Those are addictive processes. The addiction to terror. It is. It's brain chemistry thing is involved in it. I mean, and the the stress drives it. And it. As you say, it, it mirrors whatever the trauma was in your childhood. 
Yes. You're right. Yes. Yes, it is. You it's know, when, pe- when, when People Magazine um, put me on the cover, the caption did not say Marilyn overcomes incest or Marilyn overcomes rape. It said Miss America, okay, I finally understood why I won that because I never understood it, overcomes shame. There it is. It's shame. Right. It's shame. It's all about shame. That's what kept my life by hiding, by believing, and I believed it in the core of my being. If Larry knew, he would never, ever speak to me again. If people knew, my life would be over. When the newspaper reporter took my story to the front page, and I, I truly believed my life was over, my life was just beginning. I just was in the beginning of a completely new and different life of being open, which I was pretty much forced to be by the newspaper and People magazine. But I began to realize that I could impact other people's lives just by witnessing, just by being open, just by saying, and and after two weeks, reporters were calling me every day, and finally one reporter who called me every day said, is there anything different today? It's been two weeks. And I was trying to get in something, and I said, yes, today is the first day I feel no shame. That was a major day in my life. Yeah, you That's it. what was holding me back. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that, that shame is, as you say, is that feeling of I'm going to be rejected, that I'm not okay. Unworthy. But, uh, I'm, right. I'm uh-huh. ugly, unlovable, guilty, all of that. And, uh-huh. you know, all, all survivors have that feeling. We, it's a common belief. And one of the things, one of the, one of the reasons I keep traveling and speaking, one of the reasons I wrote a book is because I want someone who says, just show me one person who has come through this. I stand before 500 people. I haven't been in therapy for 26 years. You can come through this. You can find peace and joy. I wanted to find that person when I was living in this, in this frenetic world that uh, that recovery is um and now i stand up and i say here i am (laughs) and many people who come to hear me know that i was in the depths of they know i've been there Mm -hmm. i had one one woman come up and she said i need to see you and touch you and know that you're real i knew exactly what she was saying i said can you see it in my eyes i found peace. Just take this feeling and know that it's there for you. I've I, I just been given such a privilege. I just love my life. I do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's wonderful. You know, as you're saying, it's like you, you are able to know that who you are is wonderful, is good. And I think, too, what you're saying, Marilyn, that points this out is that, you know, what you just said is you felt ugly. People are like, well, good grief, you're Miss America. How could you think you're ugly? But it points out, or how did you think, that that it's the outsides and the insides don't always match, and it really is about living our inner life. I think that's certainly one thing. Being named Miss America could not have been a worse thing for me. I mean, my memories uh-huh. are so repressed. So here I am, Miss America, but inside, subconsciously, I'm feeling bad, dirty, ugly, unlovable, and guilty. And mm-hmm. those two feelings almost 
tore me apart. Uh, but again, it was subconscious, but it doesn't mean it didn't play in my life because it did. It drove my life. And right. once I could look at the truth and face it and say, I am willing to do anything to get better, anything. Um, when I was in full-time therapy from 45 to 51, and again, most, most of us are in our 40s before we turn and go back to the healing process. We're not in our 20s. Mm-hmm. Most of us who face whatever you want to call an addiction are in our 40s when we say, you know what, um, I need to go back and figure this out because my life just my life just isn't working. Um, but when I was in my late 40s and I, I was in therapy, uh, a psychologist said to me, you need to find five people who can tell you what your life was really like because you made your life up. And I'm thinking... <laughs> In the first place, that would mean I would have to tell five people, which is never going to happen. And mm-hmm. secondly, who would ever know what went on in our huge home? Uh, everybody bought it. Nobody, nobody knew anything except my mother was the best and my father, da-da-da-da-da-da. And I walked out of there and I said, okay. She says, I need to find five people. I'm going to find five people. And I did find five people. I did the work. You have to do the work. I had a a survivor write to me earlier this week. I need to tell you something I can't tell my therapist. (laughs) Okay, so we went back and forth, and she told me, and and it's a privilege that she would tell me, but after a few emails, I said, okay, either you need to tell your therapist or you need to stop going to therapy. You need to do the work. So either go in and tell your therapist the first thing you go in tomorrow or cancel your appointment. Because it's meaningless. You either, you're either going to do the work or you're not going to do the work. It's your choice. And, of course, she chose to go in and, and tell her therapist. But, but it's, it's the work. That's, that's what frees us is facing those terrors, those fears, and saying, you know what, I'm going to walk right into it. Um, uh, Didi told me, Didi was the best therapist I ever had, my youth minister, and he said to me um, during my late 40s, you have to stop locking your bedroom door. You're just repatterning yourself. Not lock my bedroom door? But if I don't lock my bedroom door, I will die. I know that sounds far-fetched to anybody no. who's but, except the survivor, but I believe that. <laughs> but I also wanted to do the work. So that night, I left the bedroom door open for about 30 seconds, got up, shut it, and locked it. Next night, left the door open, couldn't do it, locked it. The third night, I left it open. I turned away from the door. I locked myself into a fetal position, and I said the most powerful thing I've ever said to myself. I said, if I die, I die. But I don't want to live this way anymore. Just walk right into that fear. And you know what? I didn't die. And mm-hmm. I sleep with my bedroom door open. You, you face the terrors straight on. Right. Yep. That's powerful. And you know, too, what I'm hearing in your story, Marilyn, is that there are layers of this. And even though intellectually, and it's certainly at some level emotionally, you knew um, that your father had come into your room and assaulted you when you were in your 20s. You had that experience. You, you tied that conversation with Dee Dee and with Larry. But then it, it's layers, and it takes a lot of time and oh, work. Oh, it takes so much time and work. 
uh-huh. and you're not, and, and, and I would get there. In fact, I had, one night I had a party and I had 12 people who had helped me through my recovery. And I thought, I'm done. I made it. Yay, let's have a party. Have a dinner. Yes, we're going to celebrate. Well, I was on a cliff just getting ready to go off again. And I have a, oh, such a special survivor in Salt Lake City who emails me every day. And she's had a really rough recovery. And she really felt like she was there. And then all of a sudden I get the email. You know, I'm cutting. I'm drinking. I'm, uh, and, and I said to her, you know, you climb a mountain and and all of a sudden you realize it's a ridge and you have to go down again before you can go up again. So you've gone down to that valley again, but you will go up again and each time you'll get higher up on that mountain. But it is um, oh so discouraging when you think you're there and then all of a sudden, oh, goodness, I'm not there at all. I thought I was. Um, but for 26 years... I, I wouldn't know what to say to a therapist. How, how, how's your wife? You know, I, I mm-hmm. just, I got there. I, I right. really did. I really did get there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The pain ended. The shame ended. All of it ended. But I did the work. And I am happy to do the walk with anyone who emails with me. If there's anyone who's listening and is is living with this secret you can share it with me. It's all confidential, and I will walk the walk with you every day until you get where you need to go. It's it's the privilege I was given. What a privilege to be a part of people's lives. Mm-hmm. The gift. You know, there's a saying that uh, about uh, our lives and our spiritual growth is that you know we have exper- we have trauma experiences maybe early in our life. Then we have issues. We work on it. We have issues. Then we have healing. Um, then we have recovery, and then we have service. And not that it's all just a straight line. I guess it, it kind of works together. But that's what I'm hearing is that the point of, of working through our things is to have a good life and then to be of service, just like what you're doing, to walk with people. Yes, I, I was going to speak in a major city. I won't name it because I'm going to give you information that would help you identify it. But I spoke in one of our largest cities, and um, I always ask survivors to stand. And the woman who was in charge called me before the speech, and she said, you're not going to ask survivors to stand, are you? And I said, I am. And she said, I'm sorry, but no, you're not. And I said, well, um, actually, it's the most powerful moment of my talk. Um, and survivors will drive. I had a survivor drive all night in one to come because she wanted to stand. I said, I'm, I am going to. And uh, we just went back and forth, and <laughs> I did, and she stood. <laughs> Why didn't I know that? Of course, it was all about her. Uh-huh. <laughs> and she had never told anybody, and she's the head of this huge advocacy center. And now she writes articles, and she speaks, and she's all over the place. And it was about her, and she had kept this secret. And once she stood and felt free, which obviously she did, she's now serving, serving mm-hmm. in, a, in, a, in a personal way, mm-hmm. in a personal way. I mean, she's, she, her life was serving as a, with her advocacy center, but now personally she is able to say, stand and say, yes, I was as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it makes a difference. You know, you said something a little earlier, Marilyn, about um, that you'd never understood why you won Miss America, but now you do. So... Tell us more about that. About we know you, you said why you why it was difficult for you that you did win it, but now you know why. So how's that part of well, what you're doing now? 
Yeah, I was out of the room. Uh, I was a, a sorority in a sorority at the University of Colorado. And when I was out of the room, they nominated me for Miss University of Colorado. And when I came back in, the meeting was over, and they said, you're on nomination. I said, I don't want to do that. I declined. They said, you can't decline. Uh, we have to give the name tomorrow. So, you know, just oh, just be a good sport and do it. I didn't even know it was the local pageant for the Miss America pageant. Appear in a swimsuit? An incest survivor? Are you kidding me? I, I can't do that. I'm so ashamed of my body. Uh, getting in a swimsuit and go, I can't do it. Well, that was in April. I was Miss University Colorado in April, Miss Colorado in July, and Miss America in September. I didn't want to be. This was not something. I, I, I like to ride horses and ski. I'm not Miss America, you guys. This is not me. I could never figure out why I won until I saw People Magazine. Mm. Miss America overcomes shame. I looked up and I said, oh, okay, that's why I was Miss America. Because this is the work you have prepared me for. That's why I was a motivational speaker. Mm -hmm. Oh, okay, okay. This is, the, this is the job you have prepared me for. And there's never been a doubt in my mind that this is the job I was prepared for and that I was put on earth to do. Mm-hmm. Would you Wouldn't be willing... Have made, go ahead, go, go ahead. ahead. No, would you be willing to share with us a bit about your own faith walk and, you know, yes. whatever's comfortable yes. for you? Yeah. Yes. Um, um, when I went down to my room, and again, we lived in a huge home, and my mother was always on her knees praying when I went down to my room. So I walked down a long hallway to my room, um, which my father would be coming to soon. So I knew that whatever my mother was doing was not going to work for me. So I had no faith. And, and when we went to church, which we did every Sunday, my father never did, but my mother did. The reason that she went was to show off her four pretty little girls who were all dressed alike, and everybody would tell her what a lovely family she had, and that's what church about was for her. So that wasn't for me. Um, Dee Dee said to me, I always wondered why you couldn't pray to our father. He said, <laughs> you certainly didn't want a more powerful father, which I did not. So I was so alone in my room for 13 years. I didn't have God. I didn't have Jesus. I didn't have anyone. I was 100% alone. But when I started coming through my recovery, I literally looked up and said, (laughs) this is what my daughter would have said, but this is what I said. I said, okay, here's the deal. (laughs) 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 Okay, here's the deal. I want to help but I don't know how. So give me any job you want and I will do it. Well, I got my first job immediately. And I'm thinking, no, 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 no. I I don't mean this. You can't ask me. And I had to disclose to someone. I said, I I can't do that. And then I, I said to myself, okay, yes, you can. This is your first job. This is what God has given you, this is what you're going to do, which I did. 
Second job was much more difficult, but somewhat similar. Third job was the cover of People magazine. That's when I looked up and said, oh, oh, this is the big job, isn't it? This is what you've been preparing me for. So my relationship with a higher power um, came late for me because religion in my home was about what it looked like, not for what it was. There was really no faith in my family, and I didn't want another father. Didi was absolutely right. So my faith came later to me, but it is a deeply profound faith of gratitude. Um, when I had someone read my book, I... I think I closed it by saying my life has been richly blessed. And she said, you're going to say, <laughs> you've just written about this whole journey, and you're going to say your life is richly blessed? I said, my life is richly blessed, richly blessed. Yes, it is. Yeah, I did have a really, really, really awful night. And some nights the nights he didn't come were as hard as the nights he did come because I would just wait and wait as if tonight it was just endless. And I knew it would never end. I knew there was no help for me, and there never was. I mean, it was from age 5 to age 18. That is a lifetime of repeated trauma and degradation and humiliation. Has my life been blessed? Deeply blessed. Is my faith profound, deeply profound. It just came to me later in my life. Right. You know, the subtitle of your book, Miss America by Day, is Lessons Learned from Ultimate Betrayals and Unconditional Love. There it is Un- right there. That's unconditional love. Unconditional uh-huh. love. Unconditional love. I have unconditional love from my higher power. I have unconditional love from my amazing husband that I've been married to for 52 years. Um, Unconditional love from him. Just such a gift. Um, Yes, my life has been richly blessed, and my faith is deep. Mm -hmm. Thank you for sharing that with us. That really matters because sometimes, or maybe all the time, I don't know, most of the time, when there's been that level or any childhood trauma and certainly that degree of it, um, and many people have experienced it, um, that it's, it's the question is, well, where, where was God in all this? You know, how come you didn't rescue me? Um, how have you, you know, I never, that? I never really felt that way. I, I didn't, I didn't. Well, I guess the reason I didn't feel that way is because my memories were repressed. So it wasn't as if I, in the morning, I got up and said, you know, why, where is God for me? It, it didn't, in the morning, it didn't happen. Mm-hmm. Repression is a very difficult thing for people to understand, but it is a common thing for sexual abuse survivors to go through, especially if the sexual abuse happens when you're young. And when I was seven, my sister was sent away to a boarding school because she had been defiant to my father. Well, I'd never heard of a boarding school in Denver. Who ever heard of that? I just knew my sister disappeared. Mm -hmm. So somewhere in my subconscious, I knew that um, I would have to to not rebel because that's what she did. So that's not going to work. Right, and he had molested her as well, right? He had molested your older sister. Yeah. Yes, yes. So the only way for me to get up and go to school and get A's and ride my horse 
was to repress all of it, all of it. And that means you repress the feelings. And what happens in recovery is you have to bring those feelings up and feel them. And that's, oh, that's what is just so. I, I had an email today from a woman who said I wanted, she has alters. I split into day child, night child, but I, I um, email with many who are multiple personality, they call it dissociative identity disorder. There are a number of, many, many people who are multiple personality. And she said, I'm doing okay, but Buddy, one of her alters, is not. He's a boy. She's she's a woman. And I said, may I take Buddy to the meadow with me today? And, you know, we go back and forth, and um, Buddy and I email. Um and she'll get through this, and she will integrate as I integrated my night child. Uh, I hated her more than I've ever hated anyone in my life. I just wanted her to die. I didn't want to go get her. I didn't want to know her. I didn't want to feel what she felt. I just wanted her to go away. But I couldn't recover. I couldn't get well unless I integrated all of those feelings into me. And, oh, that was... That was just so hard to do and so hard for Larry to watch because I would just sob endlessly, convulsively. It was just, it was long and hard. And again, I didn't know if anyone ever got, I didn't know if anybody ever made it. I just thought maybe people just live this way forever. But when I was 51, I I saw light. I began to say, you know what, I'm I, I, I'm, I haven't cried. I haven't sobbed in a month. Goodness, I haven't sobbed in a year. Ooh, I'm, I'm going to get through this. And I did. Right. Um, and I think it was grace, if that's a word you're comfortable with. Um, yes, it is. Big time. It was, <laughs> it was grace. It was, I, I, I was, I was led. Um, I, I, I was, I was led, but I had to participate. I couldn't just, I couldn't just ask for healing. I could ask to be shown the way, and if I was shown the way, that meant I had to do it. Oh, that funny joke about the man who said, uh, "I asked you to help me when the flood came, and well, it, the flood came, and he was on his roof by himself." And a boat came by and said, I'll give you a ride. And he said, no, 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 the Lord's going to save me. And uh, somebody else comes by, a helicopter, I'll, no, 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 the Lord's going to save you. So he dies and he goes to heaven. And the Lord said, I sent you a boat, I sent you a helicopter. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, you can be shown the way, but then you have to do it. You have That's to walk right. the walk. Mm-hmm. Larry and I had no sexual relationship at all during my recovery. I mean, he walks the walk. He talks the talk. He was supportive. He was loving. He was giving. He didn't press me. He just said, whatever, how can I help you? How can I support you? How can I love you through this? Just uh, just a gift, a gift. Well, Marilyn, our, unfortunately, our time is up. But I want to thank you so much. Thank you for uh, who you are. Thank you for doing the work. And thank you for sharing this. And, you know, what you're talking about really is the process of recovery. And we're all recovering from many different things. But you're talking about it. It is. It's about grace. And, and it's about doing the work. It's about living that paradox and getting real and getting, yes. letting our innate wholeness, getting, getting, let, knitting ourselves together with God's help or however you want to put it, but 
Thank you. Thank you so much for who you are and for what you're doing. You're a blessing. Thank you. Thank you, Anna, for who you are and what you do. Thank you. I'll take it. And listeners, thank you for who you are, for what you're doing in this world, and thank you for uh, listening with us today. Have a wonderful week and know that God loves you. We'll be back next week on Spirit of Recovery. God bless. Thank you for listening to Spirit of Recovery with Rev. Anna Schaus, Ph.D., and her guests. Join Anna and her guests live every Tuesday at 4 p.m. Central Time for down-to-earth ideas about keeping spirituality at the heart of your recovery. This program is brought to you in part by Soul Matters Ministry, committed to bringing light to the soul. Online at soulmatters-spiritworks.org. I'm Liz Winter and I have been a medium and a spiritual development teacher for over 30 years. On my podcast, All Aboard the Mediumship, I want to share the message with you that there is a wealth of love and comfort available to you from the spirit world. On my podcast, you can experience this comfort and peace for yourself through gentle guided meditations and helpful messages. Make sure you subscribe and follow so you never miss an episode. Part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network.